0: So I hope you had a great Thanksgiving this week, celebrating with family, and good to see some some of you visiting with your families. Uh, It's fantastic. It's it's gratitude to God for what he has done, and at the heart of our gratitude, it compels us to do what? It compels us to eat, and it compels us to be together, and it compels us to celebrate and to practice hospitality by opening our homes and sharing with friends and family. Our hospitality as Christians, it flows from God's heart. It flows from who He is and what He's done. So we are to be hospitable people. So this is our topic for the week, and it's a great week to talk about hospitality. Um, It's it's, uh, a topic that we as a church have been focused on uh, this season. We had an event a number of weeks ago called The Power of We. It was one of our cultural moment events. And one of the talks was on Christian hospitality. The speaker, her name was Jo Saxton, and she shared about true Christian hospitality and how in an age, in a day and age of, of living in a world that's very divided in so many ways, that it is the, the very hospitality that we have from our faith that can bring people together. We need it more now than ever. And she was describing the notion of hospitality as... Uh, the starting from the Greek word for hospitality is uh, xenophilia. It's it's literally the love of the stranger. It's extending love and and care, uh, perhaps even to somebody we don't know. Uh, She also pointed out in her talk that hospitality is not just an action. It's not just the things that we do. It's not just the food that we give. But hospitality is a mindset for us as people of faith. It's a way to to view the world and to face all that we face. So, and it's, it's you see it. And when we see hospitality, it's so beautiful. and so good. We've been still dealing with the aftermath of this gas crisis in our community. There's still thousands of people who are out of their homes. Many people went through Thanksgiving without proper you know, kitchens and heat in their homes or living in temporary housing. But one of the beautiful things that we've seen is that people have been so hospitable during this time to their neighbors. We've seen beautiful examples of it. Literally, people opening their homes... To one another. I remember that first weekend, people had us over their home, and uh, people sharing resources and equipment and information, and just sharing time with each other. There's people who are just exhausted and tired and need people to talk to, and it's been good to see neighbors sharing their time uh, with one another. We we had a great ex- we've got to be on the receiving end of a lot of hospitality. Our neighbors got their kitchen, their they got relit, they got their gas relit at their home. And the next day, they brought us a meal. They said we have gas, you still don't. Uh, You know, we got ours first. They felt a little guilty about that, but they they said, "Hey, we want to cook you a meal and tell us your allergies and tell us when you want it, or I'll just leave it on your steps." But it's coming tomorrow, and and it was just to see acts of kindness like this and um, people helping each other out. It's just been really beautiful. But why is it so beautiful? And why is it so important that we understand and practice hospitality? And I would argue, and I believe fully that hospitality is at the heart of God. That God, in His very being, by being a creator of God, is a God of hospitality, that God created a world that was a perfect home uh, with perfect food and perfect experience for His creation to live in. That was God's design, that's why God created it. brings Him glory to provide a perfect, hospitable world for people. Yet, sin enters the world. Humans sin. We fail. We fall short. We turn from the God who provided us this beautiful thing, uh, Adam and Eve in the garden. And every one of us since then has turned from God. And the world becomes a very inhospitable place in many ways. But God, because of his heart of love and his heart to provide for his creation, he rescues us. He sends Jesus to come to bring us back into his family. We, who are enemies from God because of sin, are now brought to his table as family, as his children. And he is uh, bringing about a world that we will know in its fullness, where we will one day be in a perfect banquet, in a perfect hospitality, uh, with him forever. That's his design. He created it, and he is restoring it, and he will bring it to its fulfillment. So hospitality is straight in the heart of God, straight from the heart of God, and should be part of the hearts of God's people. And that's why this is so important for us. So let's stop here and pray and just um, as we consider this together. So, Father, as we talk about a topic that we fully believe that you have put on our hearts, that you have given us everything we we need to know about this, Lord, we pray that whatever needs renovation in our hearts, Lord, that you would do your good work, that you are a healing God, that you are a restoring God. And we pray as we look at your word that it would shape us and change us and heal us. That we might uh, know your will and that we might do your will. And that you would be glorified in all things, Lord. We thank you for this time. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. So to consider this beautiful topic of hospitality, we're looking at the book of 3 John. So by the end of today, you'll be an expert in this entire book. And you can tell your co-workers and friends that you are a biblical scholar in the area of 3 John. Uh, it's, it's this third letter that we have. We assume John wrote other letters as well. Uh, even this letter itself references other uh, teaching that John had written. And it's written by John, of course, the disciple. And it's the shortest book of the Bible, by counting the words, the shortest, fewest amount of Greek words. And it has this same theme that we've been focusing on, the theme of truth. So we see right here in the beginning, uh, the elder to my friend Gaius, who I love, in the truth. Now, it's a personal letter. It was written to an individual, different than the other letters, which were written to uh, communities of people or or churches of people. This is a specific letter written in the truth. And uh, just this beautiful greeting in verse 4, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth and he's reminding him I have heard that you have been faithful in the truth and that you're walking in the truth and remembering that when we talk about truth we're not just talking about the things that we believe it, it's certainly that but it's not less than that the truth in Jesus is the truth of a person it's the truth of what he had done John wrote the truth is something that we've seen and touched and heard and we, we we've experienced the truth and the truth therefore isn't just ideas but it's, it's, it's Jesus' very presence is truth, and it moves us to walk in truth. It, it, it drives us to a way of life, and that is a life, part of that life, is a life of true hospitality. So three quick lessons about hospitality from this letter. The first, les- the first lesson we see in verse 5. Let me just reread this. This is printed on the back of your bulletin, by the way, if you want to follow along. Verse 5 says, Dear friend, you are faithful in what you're doing for the brothers and sisters, even though they are strangers to you. They've told the church about your love. Please send them on their way in a manner that honors God. For it was the sake, for the sake of the name, they went out, receiving no help from the pagans. We ought therefore to show hospitality to such people, so that we may work together for the truth. Again, it's, it's the same situation as the passage we looked at last week, for those of you who are here. That there were It was a time in the history of the church where Christians were traveling from place to place to minister, to share the message of Jesus Christ. And they were traveling preachers, traveling prophets, and there was these different messengers who would go to these different places, and they needed places to stay. They didn't have uh, what we understand as a hotel or an inn back in, you know, what we understand in our day can be a very nice place to stay, back in the first century not so much, and So these folks would look for hospitality in the homes of other believers, in the homes of local churches. And so here you have a traveling Christian worker who could stay in someone's home. It saves them money, and it provides community for them. And this man, Gaius, had had done this. He had practiced this kind of hospitality. Verse verse 5, he was helping, helping the traveling workers, even though they were strangers to him. And this is, a beautiful, this is a commendable thing. The love of the stranger is, should be the heart of God's people, and it has been the heart of God's people throughout history. Way back in the book of Exodus, God taught his people, do not mistreat an alien or oppress them. For you were aliens in Egypt. God's teaching to His people were, hey, hey. you understand what it is to be a foreigner and a stranger in a strange land, and you know how you were treated. You were enslaved. You were abused. And when you have foreigners living in your land, you need to be mindful of that. You need to treat them well and not oppress them. Jesus said it is on the basis of how we would love a stranger that we will be judged by him someday. Matthew 25, Jesus is describing this he says, I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. And he, Jesus goes on to say, the way that you treat people in that situation is how you are treating me. By providing a, a drink to the thirsty, providing hospitality to the stranger, uh, providing food to the, uh, food to the hungry, clothes for those who need clothes. This is how we honor Christ, by, by living this way towards people around us. Historians will say this is why Christianity became the dominant religion of the Western world in such a short time. It's because God's people, the Christians, were practicing hospitality. They were caring for people in need. They were staying in the cities when other people were fleeing. They stayed in the cities at times of plagues and in times of famine to provide food and care for the sick. And it was that way of life that caused such a rapid growth of, of this faith. The teaching of the Bible is that the qualifications for leaders in the church, for elders and overseers, uh, listed in the books of Timothy and Titus, hospitality is one of the criterias of leadership. That leaders in Jesus' church need to be people who understand and practice true hospitality. And this is what Gaius is doing here. And there's an important missional consideration in this, in verse 7. It says, they are doing their work for the sake of the name, but receiving no help from the pagans. So what's going on here? What's happening is, if you are a traveling Christian to teach about the good news of Jesus, if you went into these towns and said, hey, I'm here to share good news with you, but I need a place to stay, and I have a wonderful message, I want to minister to you in the name of Jesus, but can I have some money, too? You could see how your motives could be questioned by the people of these towns. Are you really here to tell us something good or are you here to just take a hand out? And it was important that they, these workers didn't <laughs> receive money from non-believers, that it was the Christians who needed to support these people so that they, their motives wouldn't be questioned. And it was the job of the church to support this. Um, and this is this is actually at the heart of how we work as a church. Um, we We don't we don't seek to actively take money from the world that we're trying to minister to. If that makes sense. And there's lots of things we could do to, to get money from the world as a group. So this the people in this room, I know you, you are smart, you're good business people. We could do all kinds of stuff. We could um, rent our spaces out, you know, for we for to get money from people. We could we could go in together and buy investment properties we could, and we could work on them together. And we have real estate professionals and lawyers and we could, we could make this happen and handyman and we could, we could do that. We could hold concerts or we could sell t-shirts or apple pies or Yankee candles. We could sell stuff and we could make money together, but that's not what we were called to do. There's all kinds of opportunities. And if our goal was to make money, I think we could do it. And we would take that money and use it for good purposes. But that's not what we're here to do. Our calling as a church when we gather is the ministry of the word. It's, it's a ministry of prayer. It's fellowship. It's equipping, it's it's equipping us, God's people, to do ministry as we go. And so this our church operates solely on free gifts of people. And this church is very generous. And this this North Arbor campus is very generous. Uh, the people of Free Christian Church give over a million dollars every year to the ministry of this church to be a presence and a blessing to the in the ways that God has called us to do, and we have no other income. That's it. Just, people just give freely, and that's how it works. We don't charge fees for all kinds of things. You know. um, two two small exceptions to that, and I'll just say them for the sake of full disclosure. One is we do have a, an endowment fund that's fairly small by. The world standards, a couple hundred thousand dollars, and we do have income that sometimes the, that endowment fund has income, and we we do use that. Uh, but even that fund is just free gifts that people gave that have been collected in that sort of way. Uh, so even that's free gifts. And then we do have one small parking arrangement, which is more—it's kind of a hassle. That money um, does not come into the church; it goes straight back into the community, and I could explain that to you, but. You may be aware of that, so. But anyway, but my point is, for the most part, we, um, we are a group of people that support the work together. And that is our, that's, that's how it works. And this is a, a great, it's part of hospitality is financial generosity. And I guess that's the, the lesson here, our first lesson, is that true hospitality is costly. To be hospitable costs us something. If you're gonna have somebody in your home It's going to cost you food, and it's going to cost your space, and it's going to cost you electricity. It has a cost to it. It costs you your comfort. Helping a stranger is going to cost you the comfort you have of not interacting with strangers, if if God calls you to that hospitality that's to a stranger. Free Church North Andover campus, you understand this. For years you've understood that hospitality is costly, that it's been great work and great effort to welcome people into this community, to do the work of ministry together, to disciple our children together. I mean, I remember back years, Richard pushing tables with you at Osgood Landing, and and Tom Newcomb and Bill Sanchez and those guys, and just uh, the back, literally back, not literally back-breaking, but back, literally back-soaring, back-soaring, to to be hospitable, to welcome people to be part of this. Um, The... The, the music team setting up. And, the, every, and the, you may not see it depending on what time you walk in, but this, the, to have a band set up to play, a lot of the stuff is not set up when we get here. And if our, our neighbors who have been hospitable to us, our, our churchy roommates here, um, if they go a little over, which they do, we sometimes do, uh, it, it's hard. It's a lot of moving, you know, moving these speakers and, and moving the equipment around and just getting here early to be ready for that. Just the effort it takes to greet people, and I just, some of you have just been so faithful to set this, you know, place up, and to, we get it, it's not easy, and we never expected it to be easy, because we understand, true hospitality is costly, so we do every effort to love and to welcome people, both here as a church, and in our scattered lives as well, and, and Again, we look, to, we look to the ultimate example of this is the hospitality of God. The hospitality of God to take us from enemies lost in our sin to be part of his family, it cost Jesus everything. He gave his entire life on the cross for us. So we know that hospitality is not cheap. In God, hospitality costs him everything and we give of ourselves for others. That's where this comes from. And that's our first lesson. Hospitality is costly. Second lesson we learn from Diotrephes. Verse 9. I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to be first, would not welcome us. So when I come, I'll call attention to what he's doing, spreading malicious nonsense about us. And not satisfied with that, he even refuses to welcome other believers. He also stops those who want to do this, and he puts them out of the church. And so this guy, Diotrephes, is a leader in the local church. There might have been a network of house churches, perhaps, or a network of of community churches, and he's one of these leaders. He is not accepting John's authority. John, who wrote this letter, John, who was one of the 12 disciples, John, who was was the one when when Jesus is going to the cross, he says to John, this is your son, this is your mother, and mother, this is your son, to, to John to take care of Mary, his mother, as he was dying. This is the same John commissioned by Jesus And this guy just sort of ignores his authority. This is not good. At the root of Diotrephes' problem is selfishness. Verse 9, he loves to be first. Selfishness. Selfishness will always hinder true hospitality. And selflessness will always foster true hospitality. Did I say that correctly? Selfishness will hinder. Selflessness will foster true hospitality. And we know that, because we see selfish people, not us. But we know selfish people. We know that it's not good. Except when we really kind of look in the mirror. And I had a moment uh, recently where I uh, realized how selfish that I could be. I was, again, with this. And I may have shared this story with you, but it's good for me to confess my sins to you. So, uh, you know, we had this gas disaster, and my house was out without gas or electricity, no hot water. I had no way to take a shower um, at my home. And my gym also was out of, they didn't have gas, so they got turned on. So, so my gym finally got their gas turned back on and I had a place where I could go and take a hot shower. I was so grateful. I got the email. It said, you know, YMCA has been restored and we have hot water. This is fantastic. And then the next line said, and we're inviting the entire community, anybody who needs a shower to come and shower at the water. And I thought, but that's my gym. Like, I'm the one who needs the shower. These people aren't members of my gym. I've been paying my dues every month. And now they get to come. And then I finally get a chance to take a shower. And now everybody in the world is going to be there too. And I'm thinking, here you know, I, I am a terrible, terrible human being. I need a shower. And now I have a place to shower. And somebody else has it. And I'm mad. That is horrible. I got, so I got over it. And then so we all... A wonderful time for those few weeks. Um, it's fun to stay. So, true hospitality, though, we have to put selflessness aside, selfishness aside. We have to understand true biblical selflessness. Even when we have, and honestly, even when we have people over our homes, if we find ourselves trying to impress people and have ourselves look good by how wonderful the food and the hospitality and all the entertaining we do is for people, or how how well we serve at local ministries and shelters, as soon as the focus is off the person we're trying to serve and back onto ourselves, we totally miss them. Again, Jesus is the ultimate example of this. As Philippians says, Jesus, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, but made himself nothing. Took on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. That is using your authority, the very God of the universe, taking on human flesh, giving his life, selfless hospitality. Last lesson, third lesson uh, we learn this lesson from Demetrius in verse 11. And there's these, three, these three men are named in this letter. They each teach us a little different lesson here. Uh, verse 11. Dear friend, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. And anyone who does what is good is from God, and anyone who does what is evil has not seen God. Demetrius is well spoken of by everyone, and even by the truth itself. We also speak well of him. And you know that our testimony is true. Uh, the lesson we learned here is that true hospitality is learned. And John is teaching. He said, Look, you've got to follow good examples and do not follow bad examples. And Demetrius, he is a great example uh, for you in life. And you know, be, don't be like Diotrephes, be like Demetrius. And we all have to learn this stuff. We don't just naturally understand selflessness, we don't just in our natural state uh, understand true hospitality. In our natural state, remember, we are born sinful, we are born broken, and only by God's healing work in our lives and the healing that he brings through our Christian community can we learn these things and be changed and be made new. And we all have to learn how to do hospitality. So the question is, where did you learn hospitality? Because some of you grew up in homes that were just beautifully hospitable, and you saw it from your families, what that What true hospitality is but some of us grew up in homes where there was hatred and racism and excluding of people and selfishness and we have to unlearn those things and learn true hospitality we need those great examples i know for me my my mom taught me true hospitality and i thought it was so annoying when i was a teenager i'd I'd have my buddies over we'd go to the basement and we'd be having our guy time together and down comes mom and a big plated grilled cheese sandwiches and a pitcher of iced tea, just, hey, boys, here's some sandwiches. Mom, get out of here. Leave us alone. You're embarrassing me. And my friends were like, hey, your mom's awesome. And they're eating the grilled cheeses left and right and drinking the Kool-Aid and the iced tea. And they just, they thought it was so great. And I thought, and I'm sure my mom was snooping on us, too. So she may have had not totally pure motives, but she, she would always be offering a uh, food and, and, and welcome to my, to my friends, even though we were whatever we were. Um, former uh, campus pastor here in North Andover, David Midwood, he taught me hospitality. And his hospitality was so different, he would, he would invite, he would throw a party, and he'd invite me over and some other guys, and it's all guys he wanted to meet one another and to connect with one another. And he'd say, hey, come over to my house at seven o'clock. And he had good food and good drink, and, and these guys are showing up, and they're meeting each other, and he's, he's networking everybody. And it's 8 o'clock, and he goes, All right, my job here is done. I'm going to bed. And I said, David, we, we only just got here. We, we just I drove all the way out here. He said, No, no, no. You don't have to leave. Uh, just shut the lights off when you're done and close the door behind you. I'm going to bed, though. So we, within an hour, the man is in bed and just left us... To have his house and to, but he he knew that his role on a number of levels was to just to bring the people together, to set it up. He paid for everything, he paid for all the food, and he, he he just took care of it, set it up, and just said, All right, just enjoy it. And he could he'd go to bed right there where we were partying in his house. It was wild. But um, but there was it was hospitality. Uh, My in-laws, I've learned so much about hospitality from my in-laws. They have, as long as I've, about as long as I've known them, since I was a teenager, they would always have young people in their home, living with them, who were not their own children, who just needed a place to stay, who needed a family for whatever reason. They opened their doors, and they always had someone living and staying with them, different people, sometimes two at a time, and they just always had... It's not just your home. It's your whole life that becomes open to people as you share what you have and to bring people in. And they've been such an amazing example to me. So hospitality is something you learn, but it's also something you teach. So as you are learning it and practicing it, your children and people around you, the world around us, is learning hospitality from us and from you and from me. And and that's... um, And again, this is... So here we have John writing this letter. How did John learn hospitality? How did he understand this? This is John. This man had his feet washed by Jesus himself. He had his feet washed by the God of the universe. And Jesus said to John, and to the group that was gathered there, he said, Now that I, your Lord and your teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Jesus lived a life of perfect hospitality. He served his disciples. His disciples taught this hospitality. They brought it to the world. They were teaching these young churches and these early Christians about hospitality, and they teach it to us. And this is our lesson. Hospitality is costly, it is selfless, and it is learned. And then John runs out of space on his single sheet of paper, and he says, let's talk face-to-face. And then, and I love it, he just he instead of taking another piece of paper. They say this about this many words right here is what could fit on one sheet of papyrus in a Greek, Greek script. So, uh, I'm out of space. Let's just talk about it. I love how he ends his letters. This same guy, John, when he wrote his gospel, he finished his gospel by saying, oh yeah, Jesus did other things too. I can't write them all down. The end. <laughs> you can look it up. John chapter 21. So here we go. I have many more things I can say. We're out of time. I'm going to stop preaching. Uh, but we are crashing into a season of, of where we have opportunities for hospitality of all different kinds. And we do have to be intentional. We're not going to just drift into lives of hospitality. But, um, and sometimes we don't want to be hospitable, and I've struggled with that at times. But we, just, we do it because in Christ we can offer this kind of true hospitality. Let us pray. God, whatever we are uh, hearing and seeing from you, uh, from your word, we just pray that you give us the grace to put it to practice. You give us the grace to follow and to obey. That we would receive the grace for where we fall short. Inevitably, Lord, this week we will go. We'll have opportunities to love strangers, to, to meet people's needs, to invite people into our lives, and we will fail. But thank you, Lord, that your grace is sufficient. Thank you that the gospel, the good news of Jesus is great enough what he accomplished on the cross, uh, to to have forgiveness, that we might press on and grow and and become more like Jesus every day, Lord. Provide for us great examples in our lives of, of one another, that we might learn from one another and learn from you, and that we might be people who can live this out in our every day, wherever you call us, Lord. So give us hearts that are ready for this, we pray. And we do pray it all in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior.